Hey there, everybody. We are so glad you joined us today. No matter what you've had going on this week, we are so glad you're here and you are welcome here because at Menlo Church, everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect and anything is possible. We hope you'll enjoy the message. Let's take a look. Here at Menlo, we say everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. All of these phrases describe our hope of seeing the Bay Area transformed into a place where Jesus is in every workplace, classroom, home, relationship, and heart. This is because we believe Jesus changes absolutely everything. Imagine what could happen in a job if one person came to know and love Jesus. How would emails change? How would the meaning behind the work change? How would this difference begin to make its way into every corner of her organization? Imagine if a dad became a Christian and how that would transform generations of that family. Through this one dad, his family could experience unconditional love, freedom from shame or addiction, forgiveness and joy, and a sense of purpose. Imagine whole streets being transformed by a neighbor who knows Jesus and loves each neighbor despite their differences. Imagine a classroom transformed by a teacher who, like Jesus, welcomes children to come and learn. This teacher demonstrates consistency, love, patience, and invests into the kinds of people that these kids would grow up to be. The good news is that we serve a God who does more than we could ever ask or imagine. We believe that God is up to something right here, and that He is calling us to reach more people in the Bay Area through Menlo Church over the coming years. We are praying and believing that God has called us to make an exponential impact on the rest of the Bay Area. And you, you get to be a part of that. So what does that mean for us as we get to lead, explore, work, and serve in such a way that we get to be a part of God's plan? We have a front row seat to see Him do what only He can do, the work of helping anyone and everyone find and follow Jesus. I want to say hi to everybody in this room and folks joining us at all our campuses. I love watching that video. There's nothing in the world like the church. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to think about uh, the mission God has for our church. Um, I want to take one moment for some family news. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we end our fiscal year uh, at the close of August. And a few weeks ago, we were a bit over a million and a half dollars under our projected giving. Uh, and I'll let you all know about that. And the amazing news is that the giving over the last couple of weeks has been so strong that it made up virtually all of that gap. So we ended up receiving 99.9% .9 of our projected revenue. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, uh, thanks to very careful spending, we, received, we ended our fiscal year actually in the black. And the word that the staff used when they passed this news on to me was miraculous. So. Uh, this means things like uh, we've all seen and been devastated by what's happened in the Bahamas uh, with the hurricane. We were able to send $30,000 to a disaster relief fund there. Uh, this helps us as we dream and pray and plan to help more people around the Bay Area uh, find and follow Jesus because Jesus is so desperately needed here. So I want to thank every single one of you involved for your prayer, for your faithfulness, for your generosity. Yay, God, and yay, you. Let's take a moment now and pray. God, thank you for your goodness to us. 
Thank you for the blessing of generosity. We pray uh, especially for victims of the hurricane in the Bahamas. And we ask that you would help us to serve you and serve your world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes a single phone call can change the trajectory of your life. I was in grad school one day and the phone rang and it was a girl named Nancy and she said, is this John? And I said, yes, Nancy and I had dated a couple of times and I liked her, but after our third date, she moved 2,000 miles away, which did not seem like a good sign. So I was excited when she called and she said, I got a note that said John called, but it didn't say John who, and I thought maybe it was you, so I called. Actually, it wasn't me who had called, but we had a really good conversation, and that led to more good conversations, and eventually that led to getting married. And it wasn't until she got to know me much better, she told me, actually, there had been no message that John called. She wanted to talk to me, and back then, girls kind of didn't call boys, so she just made it up. Our marriage was built on a lie. But it doesn't bother me. For one thing, she just did it because she liked me. And for another thing, I told her I would never tell anybody that story, and apparently that was a lie, so now we're even. Well, actually, I got clearance from her to tell you about this. But I was thinking, I bet everybody here could tell about a time when a phone call came that changed your world, at least a little bit. Sometimes it's good news. You get a job offer. I remember one of those coming by the phone, or an expression of love, or the birth of a child. But often it's a crisis. The doctor's office calls and the news is not good, or there was an accident, or you get a call and it's something that involves your children, a trip to the police station, or the heartbreak of somebody who's run away, or you get a phone call or a text from someone you care for saying they want to break up. By the way, can we have a rule as a church that no one here will ever break up with anybody by text? It is a sin to break up by text, so let's just agree we'll never do that. Or there's a problem at work that's more than you can handle, or there's the loss of somebody that you love. I can think of some phone calls where I will remember where I was and when it was until the day I die. I know this, gang. One day a phone call will come for you. One day news will rock your world. And when that call comes, it will find you living in one of two conditions. It will find you living mostly in isolation, mostly disconnected from other people, largely on your own, emotionally and relationally and spiritually, not sure if there's anybody that you can reach out to, or, or, or it will find you living in community. You will be surrounded by some people who know you and love you, because you will have eaten together and laughed together and cried together and played and prayed and learned and struggled and done life together. And they will hold you up and strengthen you and support you and keep you together as if by an invisible force, because it is. In the Bible, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes contrasted the strength of people living in relationship with the fragility, the vulnerability of people living in isolation. This is from Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the, anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. 
The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And what the biblical writers said thousands of years ago is confirmed by research today. Harvard researcher Robert Putnam writes that people who are relationally isolated are more likely to experience colds, heart attacks, strokes, cancer, depression, and premature death of all sorts. He cites over a dozen studies that show people who are socially disconnected are between two and five times more likely to die from all causes compared with matched individuals who have close ties. God's plan is for nobody to be alone, for everybody to be known and loved and cared for and cherished, and his plan for that is called the church. There has never been anything like the church. It is described, the early church, in the book of Acts. Some of you will know. Acts chapter 2 is a classic passage. And it says, people in this new community that were following Jesus devoted themselves. This is a strong word. Devoted themselves to community. They learned together what the apostles taught about Jesus. And they had fellowship with each other. They got real. They took off masks. And they prayed together. And they ate together. And they suffered together. And they shared with each other in quite extraordinarily generous ways. And they did this, the text says, actually on a daily basis. Every day they would meet at the temple to worship. Every day they would meet in their homes to break bread. God hates aloneness. God loves family. God loves inclusion. Jesus said we're to pray to our God as our Father. And that what, what that means is you have millions of brothers and sisters all around the world. And by the way, and by the way, and by the way, just for you all to know, for all the ways that all of us humanly mess up the church thing, it actually works in quite extraordinary ways. Robert Putnam, this Harvard researcher, has one graph in his book, Bowling Alone, that shows the correlation between church attendance and happiness. And this is what was found. People who do not attend church at all are significantly unhappier than average. You see the charts up there. People who attend church 20 times a year are average happy. People who attend church every week are the happiest people in America when it comes to church attendance. Something about coming to church, being with God's people, worshiping, praying, and learning, something about that leads to greater joy. Go figure. But not just that. Not just that. Sometimes people might come to church for a long time, but nobody really knows them. This might be you. You might be kind of in the chronic visitor category. You might still be relationally isolated. So if you really want to experience the power of community, don't only attend worship, get into a group where you can experience mutual knowing and serving and caring. I will tell you how powerful this is from Putnam. The bottom line from this multitude of studies, as a rough rule of thumb, if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. That is why, as I remind our church periodically, the informal motto of our life group ministry is join a life group or die. Now, that's why we call them life groups. They actually keep you alive. Literally true. And community is not just what keeps us alive physically or enables us to cope emotionally. It is a primary way that we grow spiritually. Writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. 
Now, next week, we're going to talk more about the unbelievably inspiring and staggering mission God has for his local church and for our church. And we want to need every single one of you that's a follower of Jesus to be a part of that. So please be sure and don't miss that. But for this week, here's the key. The time to build community and friendship and connection and spiritual bonds is now. Because if you wait for the phone call, it's too late. I've seen this so many times. When the storm comes, when everything falls apart, people who live isolated lives feel too awkward to ask for help. They don't have the energy at that point to do the work required to become known. They actually become more isolated and more alone. The time to build community is before the phone call comes. The Bible says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Maybe you are not in crisis right now. Maybe you're feeling pretty self-sufficient today. Maybe you got life wired right now, but I'll make you two promises. One is the phone call will come for you. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but the day will come when you realize you need people. You cannot stand alone. A bursting heart or a dancing heart or a breaking heart will require people to come and stand by you. Now, the second problem, promise, is even if you think you don't need anybody, somebody needs you. Somebody needs your prayer. Somebody needs your encouragement. Somebody needs your perspective. Somebody needs your touch, your shoulder, your challenge, your hope. This is a strange truth. When you offer community and support and caring, you also receive it. You know, we live in the Bay Area where there is so much financial affluence and so much vocational opportunity and so much relational and spiritual poverty. Nobody moves to the Bay Area for relationships. They move for money and jobs and opportunity. They acquire networks and Facebook friends and Instagram followers and LinkedIn contacts. But that's not a family. There are lonely people and hurting people and scared people. And Jesus says, now you come to my family. Just to help make this very real, I wanted to show you one single story about one single family in our church and the difference that community makes. So take a look at this story and open up your heart to God. And then after that, we're gonna worship for a moment and then at every campus, your campus pastor is gonna come and talk about next steps that God has for all of us. Take a look. Isabel um, was so full of life. Her smile was infectious. She also loved people, just couldn't wait to be around people. They were just encouraged by her. One of her key traits that she had was that she did not have a filter, and she just kind of told you what she thought at that moment. The joy of her life was laughter and pain, just connecting with people. Isabel was born with a very rare metabolic condition called LCHAD, where she was uh, deficient in the enzyme that metabolizes fat. So her body metabolized its own muscle tissue for energy, and the heart is a muscle. 
When Isabel was three days old, we almost lost her. Uh, we got her to the emergency room and her heart rate was 20. So it was a miracle that she even survived that, but that did cause a traumatic brain injury for her. An easy task that we would just not think of as anything for Isabel, it, it was just twice as hard. As the years went, more and more of her abilities were kind of stripped away from her. Her heart continued to decline as she was a teenager. We've been going to the San Mateo campus now for about five years. One of the key things for me in coming to Menlo was to build not just a community for us, but also a community for Isabel. They were so willing to just, just, just try. Isabel loved, loved the community around her at church. She just felt completely loved and able to be herself with all of her delays and disabilities. We never expected to be filled um, like we were. There was a worship night and um, we weren't able to attend because Isabel was admitted to the hospital. Matt Lewis, he put up his computer and did Facebook Live for Isabel. And everybody knew that Isabel was watching and they would walk by the, uh, his computer and wave at us and say hi. It's one of my most precious final memories with her. She was stuck in the hospital for multiple periods for weeks on end until we finally came home um, because Isabel wanted to come home. It was a very short time when we were here on hospice um, and she was very ill and it happened to be a Sunday. The first person that we called was Matt Lewis and Matt came running over here as quickly as he could and he saw her while she was still with us. People just started coming. It was the most beautiful thing that happened and amidst all the pain and the sadness. And we just all worshiped in the room while Isabel was there. I was overwhelmed with the outpouring of just love and support. The night that Isabel passed, you know, the last person that left was almost 12 hours from when Matt originally got there. And then the same thing happened on, on Monday. People just kept coming and they just kept kind of tag teaming without saying that they were tag teaming. <laughs> they just did it. They didn't want us to be alone. Having those, those people in our life has been invaluable. We are here today to celebrate the life of Elizabeth, and that's what we're gonna do. Now within that celebration, there is going to be a range of emotions. I think there's gonna be a lot of laughter, and clapping, and joy, and there's also gonna be some tears and crying, and that is all okay, because we have all been processing together. We just had to get back to doing what we would typically be doing and what Isabel would be doing with us. Volunteering and serving, it's what we do. It's what our family did together. It was hard walking back in the church without her. It was a place where um, she felt loved. Going through this process, we feel it's given us hope and we feel that we could 
kind of share that hope with others who are going through the same process. Us coming alongside others is um, how we can help and move forward. We did not expect Isabel to pass away at 19. This isn't something I thought I could ever handle. Grief is something that has to be done in community. You will become bitter. You will close yourself off. There's something about being around people who just listen. I can text like 10 people and say, I'm having a tough day. I'm on Isabel's floor crying again, hugging her shoes. Can you guys pray for me? And I actually had that happen in February and I had one friend say, I'm on my way over and she sat on the floor and she cried with me. When there are people that speak truth into your life, they help you through that process so much. For those of us in this type of grief that we're going through, we just don't want to feel like we're forgotten. People never get over it. They move forward. People are meant to live in community and it makes life so much richer and so much more beautiful. You just never know when you might have to lean on your community. As new parents, when your child is just first learning how to walk, you kind of set them go, but you're right there with them as they're balancing, as they're hoping. That's how we see now our community here. And we're starting to walk and we're starting, but they're there just right. in case we stumble, just in case we fall. You know, they'll be there to catch us. And to be surrounded constantly by those who love us, walked through it with us. Mm -hmm. It takes effort but it is so worth it. It's almost a year later and we're still walking along and they're walking along with us in this journey.